Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into the inaugural episode of the Saber Talk podcast. Uh, my name is Mark Geis. I'm going to be your host. Doing this by myself for now, um, but I also want to say that I'm always open to having people on as guests, guest hosts, and maybe even finding a permanent co host. I'm starting this alone because I really see a void out there. I currently, I just see the biased saber talk on the radio. I'm sure most of you know who and what I'm talking about. Uh, but it's it's just not quality saber analysis. It really isn't. It's not good radio. And they don't talk really about things that are interesting to the rest of us. They're interesting to those that delve a little bit deeper, want some deeper analysis, want to talk about particular players and situations and have maybe opinions that would be controversial on an actual saber run radio show. So that's why I'm doing this because of that void that I see. And I'm sure that a lot of you out there also have that void. So to have somebody that's going to be talking about some of the major things that are going on with the sabers and like I said, be willing to have that, that controversial viewpoint. So thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And I'm always up for comments, any concerns, any topics you want me to address, I will have some contact information so that you can get that to me. And I'm very open to all of it. Like I said, this is starting from nothing. I'm recording on my phone and hopefully I can progress to something that's a little bit higher quality, but please, any sort of contact is positive to me, whether, whether you're saying something positive or negative, I would really, really appreciate it. So there's a ton to talk about here at this point in the season, there's been so much change and really right now, where do we stand? What's the most important thing to talk about right now as we sit 34 games into the season? And to me, the most important thing to talk about right now is player usage. So how do we evaluate Dan Bilesma? Is he doing a good job? Is he putting guys in positions to succeed or is he not? And if he's not putting them in a position to succeed, where do we think those spots are? What are what are his biggest mistakes, and what can he do differently down the stretch to to help so many young guys on this team really succeed and put him in a good position heading into next year? So right now, Ryan O'Reilly is definitely the stir that the straw that stirs the drink. And I don't think anybody would deny that or would question that. He's the number one center, plays in all situations, leads the forwards in minutes every night, and has really come completely as advertised. He's been he's been brilliant. And thankfully now it looks like he has at least another part of a legitimate top line. And that's a guy in Sam Reinhart that's playing incredible hockey. Jamie McGinn's looked good next to them. Uh, that line seems to be working. McGinn's been playing his best hockey since he's been with with Eichel and now with O'Reilly. But there are a lot of other question marks throughout the lineup. And I also have a question about Sam Reinhart and how Bilesma has treated him up until the last 10, 10 or so games. You know, why did it take Sam Reinhart so long to be placed on the top line? Why was he jerked around 
close to the bottom of the lineup and it's just frustrating and that seems to happen with so many guys you've got guys that are playing way too much and then guys that are playing way too little and it started to balance out more I know so many people are going to talk about Brian Gianta and I've been yelling at my TV the entire year so far pretty much just about you know why is Brian Gianta playing with Jack Eichel he's He's not looking like a quality NHLer right now. He's best suited in a third or fourth line role, yet you keep throwing him out there with this generational prospect that basically we suffered through an entire season for. And it just doesn't make sense. Then you had a guy like Sam Reinhart playing on the third line and not getting special teams minutes. And it just, it's really maddening. And you still see it happening, but it, like I said, it's getting better. And I think the lines right now are probably the best that I've seen all year. Not that I think that they're perfect, but at least we're trending in the right direction. He seems to have accepted that Gianta and Molson are not are not what they used to be. They've definitely lost steps. And I'm not really sure which one's been more disappointing. To, to know that we're on the hook for still over three and a half years of Molson's contract at a $5 million cap hit per year. That makes me want to criticize him more because we at least know with Gianta that we're out of that contract at the end of next year. And even next year, they're not going to be up against the cap. But near the end of that Molson contract, we very well may be. So I'm happy that he seems to have at least accepted that. I'd still love to see him bench them every once in a while or be more willing to put them on the fourth line. Molson, he has stapled the fourth line recently. Gianta, he still has not been willing to do that with. But I've at least, that line with Gergensen's, Larson, Gianta, I've liked that line. So it hasn't been a total loss, and I won't really harp on Bilesma too much for that because he seems to be learning. The second line right now, the the Kane-Eichel-Ennis line, I don't really know where I stand on that. They could be a great line if you give them mostly offensive zone draws and you give all the defensive responsibility to the O'Reilly and Larson lines. That can work, and I think it's got the possibility to work. But I, th- I also look at it like, do you really want three guys that seem best with the puck on their stick all playing together? I really don't think so. I, I think it would be best if you could at least separate one of them off of that line. Probably, to me, Ennis makes the most sense to be moved and to keep trying to get this Kane and Eichel combination to work. What I would like to see, Larson's look very good as the third-line center. I'd love to see Gergensen's moved up onto Eichel's right wing to have a Kane-Eichel-Gergensen's line and then reunite the Molson-Larson-Ennis line from last year. And... Yeah, that third line won't be probably quite as good in terms of defensive matchups, but I think you're going to get more offense out of Larson. You can have three lines that can score, you know, can score on a fairly consistent basis, assuming that that wakes Molson up, and then it just would leave more defensive responsibility for the O'Reilly line, which they already have. So that's kind of where I would like to see this go. I think Gergensen's were wasting whatever offensive potential he has on that third line. And I'm not hugely enamored with 
Zemgus's offensive upside. I think a lot of fans got too hyped up about him and about what he could do offensively at this level. But I do think he has a lot more offensive production in him than what we've seen so far this year. And I think for a guy that's still that young, I don't think it's right in a developmental year like this to be putting him in a completely defensive role where we don't expect any offense of him. And yes, he's developed greatly, you know, his his size and strength and skating and everything. It makes him well-suited, I think, to adapt to a defensive role. But what we need to be cultivating are those offensive skills that take a little bit longer to develop and to show themselves at the NHL level. So, like I said, I'm not expecting 30 goals a season from Gergensen's by any means, but I do think that it would be best to put him on an offensive line where we can see, you know, the consistent 15 to 20 goals, maybe the odd 25-goal season here or there if he really hits some hot streaks. I think that's what we need to try to cultivate, and I think that we can if we put him on the Eichel line. Like I said, the Kane, Eichel, Gergensen's line. I think has that kind of ability, and you've got two great possession guys in Kane and Gergensen's next to Eichel, so that will help hopefully keep more possession in the offensive zone. And also, you've got a guy in Gergensen's who's played center quite a bit at the NHL level and can handle the center responsibilities if they want to move Eichel to wing without taking away any chemistry that that line builds up. So it gives you that option to flip Eichel to wing, that's another thing that I probably should talk about a bit. I'm kind of ambivalent on the whole thing. I can see it going either way. I'd love to see Eichel be able to learn on the job center at the NHL level to not have to now make the adjustment to wing, which he hasn't done before. I know that the you know, common knowledge, the common sense is that wing is always easier than center and that any center can play on the wing. And I don't wholeheartedly disagree with that, but I do think that it's a little bit simplistic to just say that, that, oh yeah, he can just play wing because it's always going to be easier. But how I see it is there is less defensive responsibility on the wing. And I also think that playing on the wing could help to develop some of the things in Jack's game that still need to improve. So that's winning battles along the boards and also maybe learning more about how his wingers are going to be positioned at the NHL level. I think it could overall be helpful. I, I'm i not hardline on it one way or the other. I don't think he necessarily needs to stick at center if they can put him with someone that can play center and they can shift him to wing. And I also don't think that he needs to play wing. I think, yeah, he's looked overwhelmed at times, but also he he's so talented and you would love to see him just grow in the position where he is definitely going to be in the future. And Eichel's future... I would be willing to bet good sums of money on will not be at wing at the NHL level. He will be a center in the future, but there are plenty of guys that have shown that they they came into the league playing wing. Look at guys like Stamkos, Sagan, and eventually moved to center. And that very well could be the best path for Eichel. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But I think the great thing about that Kane, Eichel, Gergensen's line is it gives you that flexibility where... Maybe you can move Gergensen's up there. He can play on the right wing. And if they so choose, if they want to give Eichel time on the wing, just move the two. Now, Gergensen's gets the center responsibilities, and now Eichel's moved over to right wing. 
So that's why I think that lineup change would make sense. It's not anything drastic. Um, the first line, I'm going to keep McGinn up there until he stops producing. Like I said before, this is the best that he's looked. And I really do not want to break up O'Reilly and Reinhardt right now. So if you can keep McGinn going like he is, and they can look like an actual top NHL line without having to pull Kane up to that top line, that'd be great. If McGinn slows down and he looks more like he did earlier in the season, then I think Kane makes a lot of sense next to those two. But then now you have the problem is who's Eichel's left wing going to be. And McGinn looked pretty decent there. Um, Molson has gotten some run on that line, but like I've like I've said, and like a lot of Buffalo fans have said, he just doesn't look like he has it anymore to be a legitimate top six guy anymore. And maybe Eichel, once he really hits his stride, maybe he can carry a guy like Molson, who still does have good hands around the net and can finish. But I'm not sure if that's going to happen. So that's the only problem I see with moving Kane up to that top line. I think ideally, chemistry-wise, Kane makes the most sense there. And I don't love he and Eichel together, but at the same time, the it is really tempting to try to get Kane and Eichel working together because as of now, with the guys that are in the organization, Kane looks like the number one left wing long-term and Eichel looks like the number one center long-term. So I'm down to keep the, the Eichel-Kane exper- experiment going for a while longer, at least until McGinn slows down. But I'm really open to anything. I also don't want the lines changing every game, so I want them to give, when there are lineup changes, give them a few games to see how they're working before changing. And that's what a developmental year is. It's putting, hopefully, young guys in great positions positions to succeed. And I think that putting Reinhardt on O'Reilly's right wing is a great example of that, though it took too long to happen. Um continuing to put Eichel in positions to succeed looks like it may be difficult and it looks like he's being force-fed a few too many opportunities so that's why I advocated maybe Gergensen's moving to that line maybe ease some of the defensive responsibility off of him but overall I've liked Bilesma a lot more recently so Another thing related to player usage, well, it is player usage, but it's special teams. And I still really question, especially on the penalty kill, the power play has gone pretty smoothly so far, so I can't question it too much. The results have been there. It's the best power play this team has had in a long time. But the penalty kill, I I just don't understand. I don't understand why Cody Franzen keeps getting minutes on the penalty kill, he's not good on the penalty kill, and how Brian Gianta and David Legwan keep getting thrown out there. You know, we keep getting told this is a developmental year, and I think fans are fine with that. We don't expect this team to make the playoffs, and anybody who did is just deluding themselves. But if it's a developmental year, you need to put the young guys out there. They need to be getting these special teams minutes. They are our long-term penalty killers, yet where are they? You don't see Larson getting power or getting penalty kill time. And you also, I mean, you've got Mike Weber and Cody Franson out there 
as the second penalty kill unit every game. And those guys aren't long-term, aren't parts of the long-term solution. I just really don't get it. I, I don't get why your four defensemen aren't, right now, the Georges and Ristolainen pairing and the McCabe-Bogosian pairing. At least three of those four guys, Georges uh, notwithstanding, are going to be part of the future here in Buffalo, barring any trade. I don't get why in a developmental year you don't have Jake McCabe playing in every situation. Power power play, I can understand. Cody Franson is so good back there, and they do have a lot of forwards. They're trying to get time. But on the penalty kill, he's got to be out there consistently. And I just, I just don't get why, especially Jake McCabe and Johan Larson are my two biggest gripes at not being out there. But you also have the issue of Sam Reinhardt not getting enough power play time. And the guy is brilliant. And like I said, it's it has improved recently, but I don't get why from the beginning of the year he's not getting power play time. And maybe Bilesma's turned a new leaf, but he has got to be out there. He's a great passer. He's exactly the type of guy you want out there on the power play. He finds the open man and he gets he's incredible in front of the net for a smaller guy, especially he's, he's great in front of the net. He has, a, has great hands. He's willing to battle. Now I, I understand that Jake McCabe has gotten a decent amount of penalty kill time, but I still don't think it's enough. I think it's unacceptable that he has gotten less than Cody Franson. And another guy that I'm, I know because he's injured, we probably forget about him, but Mark Pesic was getting under 30 seconds of penalty kill time per game when he was in the lineup. And that just makes absolutely no sense to me at all with how important he is to this organization's defense long-term. I just, I don't understand that at all. He's so steady and smooth. Of course, he's not extremely physical or anything, but he plays a great positional game and get the puck out of the zone. And that's a guy that I want killing penalties long-term. I think that he is depending on who else Murray can bring into this organization. But I think right now of who is on this roster, he is Ristolainen's long-term partner. It's not going to be Josh Georges. I think he's a stopgap right now. But if you look at who's in the organization right now, how far they've progressed, um, who complements Ristolainen best, I think that it's Pesic. And for him to not be killing penalties, I think he's going to be on that number one penalty killing unit with Ristolainen. line. It just makes no sense to me. It makes no sense for him to be playing under, under 30 seconds a game. And I don't understand that one. Of course, because he's injured right now, we don't really think about his usage, but I just really don't understand it. He's, he's looked very good to me. And I think he's been the second best defenseman this year when he's been healthy. Uh, Bogosian has started to pick up his play recently, but he still does not look like the same guy that we saw last year down the stretch. So I hope that when Pesic's back, he's he's playing in that top role. We'll see, though. I mean, he Bilesma really seems to like the Georges Ristolainen pairing. He's kept them together for a majority of the year, and maybe he tries to stick with that and tries to tries to put Pesic next to somebody else. I don't I don't really know. With four righties, it's really hard to tell. Like you you know that McCabe and Georges will 
stay in the lineup and they will both be on the left side. And it looks like Pesic's going to be the one to move to the left side from the right side and keep Ristolainen, Bogosian, and Franson on that side. But then who do you put Pesic with? Will he move McCabe down to the third pairing and put Pesic next to him? Or will he put him up on the first pairing with Ristolainen? I'm not really sure. I would prefer for him to be with Ristolainen right now. Let them figure it out together. Let them develop into that that long-term top pairing that we need and then have Georges hopefully move down and play with France. And I think those two can complement each other pretty well. I, I don't think Georges is more than a decent third pairing guy at this point. He does not, he should not be out on the ice with Ristolainen if we have other pieces that can be there. Right now with injuries, it makes sense, but with the defense fully healthy, I don't think it does. And, that all may change with free agent or trade additions in the offseason. I I know a lot of people are clamoring for a left-handed defenseman, and I can certainly see that happening, whether it's whether it's picking someone high in the draft or whether it's bringing someone in by free agency or by trade or by doing both, bringing in another young defenseman and bringing in uh, a guy through trade or a veteran through free agency. So that'll be interesting, but... Just usage overall is, I think, what we need to be most critical when looking at Bilesma. And all of those things that I've talked about, they're concerning to an extent, but overall I think the system is more important. And they, they, they're they pretty much in every game. They don't give up. They are pretty good at keeping the game low scoring. It's not always fun to watch, but they've been able to do – a lot better than I expected considering that they don't have their number one goaltender and that they've missed Kane for a good portion of the year, Ennis for a good portion of the year, Pesic and Bogosian for a good portion of the year. It's It's been pretty good. To be sitting at 14, 16, and 4 right now, I'm pretty happy with that. And if you can have, if you can have Ryan O'Reilly and Sam Reinhardt together combining to form a good top line and you can start getting more secondary scoring and you get Pesic back and he plays like we all know he can play. And maybe you get Leonard back, and he can put put together something good down the stretch. The team, the team could be sitting at the end of the year looking pretty strong and still would be going into the draft with a pretty good draft pick. They'd probably be drafting in the 10 to 15 range uh, at that point. It'd probably be around 10, because I don't expect them to be that close to the playoffs to be picking closer to 15. But that's a good spot to be in. And with some momentum heading into next year, you won't have a ton of turnover going into next year unless Murray pulls off some huge blockbuster moves with multiple guys again. But I don't think you're really going to see those kind of deals like you saw with the Evander Kane trade last year and the Ryan O'Reilly trade this offseason. I just don't think you'll see that. I I think they've got more long-term pieces in place now. And... There really isn't a need to do that. Unless somebody great comes available, you know, if he can somehow make a move for for Ryan Johansson or maybe some defenseman falls out of favor somewhere, that's maybe where you could see that happening. You could see him packaging guys like Gergensons and Ennis together to try to go out and get another top-flight guy. That could happen, but I would be shocked if that happens in back-to-back off-seasons. So... It'll be really interesting. I, 
I feel good about where they are right now, and I'm just interested to see how this all develops down the stretch. If the good trends in player usage continue the rest of the season and into next season. And I think next season will be when we can really evaluate Bilesma 100% and see if he's going to be that coach that can take this team to the next level. I think that this team will be a playoff team with him at the helm as soon as next year, depending on what moves are made, depending on how guys continue to progress. But is he going to be that guy that can win a matchup against another coach? You know, a, a, a Joel Quenneville in the Stanley Cup Finals, somebody of that ilk. Is he someone that can go head-to-head with the elite coaches in this league? And that'll be really for next year to determine, I think. Because right now I see I see the third year of Sam Reinhart and Jack Eichel's ELCs. I see that as being a year that they could really contend, depending on who else is brought in between now and then. But when you have these guys still making relatively small money compared to what they bring to the table. That's when you can really stack up money, commit a bunch of money to veterans, spend up to the cap and make a real run. If you look at what Chicago was able to do before they had to commit huge money to Kane and Taves, it's similar. They were able to beef up with proven vets around them and have what looked like super teams heading into some of those finals that's what the Sabres could do. They, have a, they would have a lot of money to spend short-term to beef up the lineup around them. Right now, they're still far away from the cap. They have plenty to bring in a, a good defenseman. They have plenty to bring in a good winger until you've got to start paying those guys. And it also will be inter- interesting to see what happens with Evander Kane if they end up bringing him back. But I think that that third year right now, so it would be the 2017-2018 season, there could be a real opportunity there to make a run. So to evaluate Bilesma right now, I'd say he's been adequate bringing in a system that's turned around the ridiculous lack of system that was here under Ted Nolan and under Ron Rolson and instituting that that's an accomplishment in and of itself. What detracts from that is his player usage But because we've seen trends in the right direction, I'm willing to be a little bit more lax on that than I would have been had I been talking about this two or three weeks ago. So that's really where I see this going right now. It's an exciting time to be a Sabres fan. It really is. It's it's great to be able to see, see prospects like Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart and to see a guy I haven't talked about much at all, but Rasmus Ristolainen. To see these guys progress each and every game, it's pretty it's pretty entertaining. Even if they don't play the most entertaining brand of hockey, to just be able to witness the witness the progression and development each and every game, it's been a real treat. And I think it's going to continue being a treat, especially now that you see Reinhardt being in that high usage role next to O'Reilly, see him feeding off O'Reilly, and O'Reilly even feeding off of, of Reinhardt. And to see what Eichel does, how he responds to this this real adversity that he's facing right now. And he's a real confident guy. I don't know if he's ever faced this at any level. Probably not, because the NHL is such a different ball game from from anywhere else. But to see how he 
how he comes back from this Christmas break, how he approaches the game the rest of the way down the stretch. Is he going to burn himself out? Is he burned out physically or is he burned out mentally? Or will he figure it out as the season goes along? I, I tend to think he's going to figure it out. I think he has that kind of talent that he's going to figure it out. He's going to figure out a way to dominate in the NHL. And I think he's going to do that sooner rather than later. So it's going to be great to see how he responds. And like I said earlier, putting him in the best position to succeed is extremely important for Bilesma and for our evaluation of Bilesma the rest of the way down the stretch by giving him the right wingers, by putting him out there in the right situations. That's going to play a huge role in whether he figures it out and starts dominating like we know he can later on this season, or is it going to be a struggle the rest of the way? Um, Beyond that, I think trying to cobble together some sort of chemistry in the bottom six also will be important. And I think you see signs of of Johan Larson being a very good third-line center. I think that's where he's going to be long-term. Third-line center or wing, somewhere in the bottom six. He'd be an elite fourth-line center if they ever have that kind of depth. But then who else is around him? So if Gergensen's, if they see him as a long-term third-line piece, he's obviously a fit, say, on one side of, of Larson. But if he ends up up if he ends up, up in the top six, who else really carves out a long-term niche in that bottom six? Nick Delorier, he's looked good for most stretches. He hasn't been incredible by any means, but as a fourth-line winger getting his eight minutes a night, you can do a whole lot worse. He brings a physical game to the table. He can chip in the odd goal here and there. I like the guy. Marcus Foligno, on the other hand, has been very disappointing. I would really like to see them move on from him, maybe like a a trade for another change of scenery type guy. He's got to still have some value around the league. He's still only 24. Power forwards tend to take longer to develop. So somebody out there would have some value for him. And I don't know if I'd want just a pick in return for him. It would be ideal to be able to use him in a package with another player an upgrade, say on the back end, or I mean, even with another one of the forwards, but he's been disappointing. I don't know if he's ever going to bring that consistent physical presence that you need from a guy like him. I just don't see it. I've really never been enamored with him. Yes, he's got some talent. Yes, he can bring a physical game when he's on, but he doesn't do it consistently enough to, I think, be part of a Stanley Cup winning bottom six. And that's ultimately what they're trying to trying to create here. David Legwan, he's been better than I expected. I don't think he's going to be here beyond this year. He'll probably be moved at the deadline for something, maybe retain 50% of his salary and move him for a pick to a contender that needs some that needs some uh, bottom six depth. And then you've got to figure out how to fill that role next year. I don't think Schaller is a long-term bottom six fit here. Maybe you could see Cal O'Reilly getting a shot next year as the fourth-line center. He's under contract next year, too, so it's possible he could be a guy that they, a guy that wins a spot out of camp. I wouldn't be surprised if they sign a free agent, maybe a younger guy that can fit into this team's long-term plans, where David Legwan, he's really a short-term fix, a short-term 
um, stopgap type of option. And they really only took him as a salary cap dump. So it wasn't like they went out and targeted David Legwan. He was part of part of being able to get Leonard back in that trade, part of what Murray saw as, as, uh, as worth it to take him in order to get Leonard for a uh, first-round pick last offseason. Cody McCormick, I, I don't know if he'll ever play again. We'll see. He's still under contract for next year. I've liked him when he plays. I think he gets hurt too much though, and I don't think that you can, I don't think you can depend on him. I think Gianta will be here. Well, he'll obviously be here next year. I don't see him retiring. Uh, I wouldn't mind if he retired, but he'll be in that bottom six. He, I do not see any way that he's in this team's top six next year. Matt Molson also may have to be in the bottom six. I don't think he's a guy that you can sit. I don't think they're going to buy him out at this point. But but where do you play him if he can't keep up with the Eichel line? I don't see him playing with O'Reilly and Reinhardt. Where else do you put him? You almost have to play him in the bottom six. So he's going to be in the mix down there too. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all unfolds. And that's something not a lot of people talk about. Obviously, bottom six, you think... That's something that you fill out once you have your core in place. But I do think this team's core already is in place. And if they really can make a run in 2017, 2018, like I'm speculating they may be able to, they need to start filling out that bottom six with those pieces this offseason. It can't all be done in the 2017 offseason. So I think that's important. And that's an important and... Um, not underappreciated, but it's an issue that isn't talked about enough by the Buffalo fan base. What happens with the top six? Who's who's the fourth line center? Is Felino gone? Is Delorier a long-term piece? What happens with Molson and Gianta? Um, is Larson that long-term third third line center? And that's gonna be interesting to watch play out down the stretch too. Also, and I alluded to it before, the defense. What happens? Do we see real chemistry developing? Is McCabe going to be a long-term partner for Bogosian? Um, is Pesic the long-term partner for Ristolainen? Are all of those guys in the long-term plans? Obviously, Ristolainen is. Um, I, I hope I hope Pesic and McCabe are as well, and Bogosian still at only 25. You've got to think he's part of the long-term, the long-term uh, plans here. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. And I I would love to see both of those players, Pesic and McCabe, getting the run next to the teams. Not, not the wrist lines, the, most, the second most experienced defenseman after Bogosian, but in terms of playing those high-quality minutes, he is. So to have him next to our two highest-level defensemen, I'd really like to see that. Like I talked about before, in a developmental year, in an evaluatively, in an, in an evaluative year, that's what that's what you want to see. You want to see your young guys getting chances to succeed. Not to be overwhelmed, but to be put out there and to see what they're really made of and to see do you need to go out and upgrade upon them moving forward or do they step up and fill those, fill those roles admirably. And we'll see. I still think a left defenseman is going to be instrumental either way. That's going to be a huge target regardless of, of what Pesic and McCabe do down the stretch. But it at least can give us a better idea of exactly how urgent that need is, how much money needs to be thrown at that problem 
Do they need to put together a huge package deal? So there's going to be so much to talk about. I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm going to try to put out these shows as often as I can. It'd be great if I can do it every night to have them out by the morning after every game. I mean, and then hopefully as much as possible in between. If some big news happens, hopefully I'll be able to put one out pretty quickly. Uh, I, I have a somewhat open schedule, though I work during the day, every day, Monday through Friday. But I think there's going to be a lot to talk about. I think this is exciting. I think I, I hope that I get some feedback and stuff that people want me to talk about because there's going to be so much and there are going to be things that I miss. So thank you so much for listening to the inaugural Saber Talk podcast. Like I said before, I really appreciate the support, the listen, um, any feedback you give me. Um, I'll, I will give out my email right now. Uh, my email is markrgeis at gmail.com. Right now, that's how I'll take emails. I'll give out my personal. Uh, maybe I will make, if there's enough response, I'll make a separate email address for it. If I end up making a website for this, I'll do an email with the actual website um, as the ending URL. But it's markrgeis, which is M-A-R-K-R. G-E-I-S-E at gmail.com. That's how you can reach me. Like I said, with any positive or negative comments, I would love to hear it. I hope that we can really get something started here and to have an alternative for the biased and just, in my opinion, terrible radio shows specifically about the Sabres out there. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So hopefully we can start something great here. Have a fantastic holiday season and thank you.